0: section eighteen of the dial may nineteen twenty by various this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by matt Perard. section eighteen a divine beachcomber by evelyn scott noah noah by paul gauguin translated from the french by o f Thies, illustrated hundred and forty eight pages nicholas l brown new york paul gauguin according to some authorities was born in paris on the seventh of june of eighteen forty eight his father who was a parisian journalist a Briton by birth died during a journey to lima while yet a young man his mother was a peruvian creole gauguin ran away to sea when he was fourteen and so presaged for us his later adventurous spirit but returning to paris when he had just passed adolescence he temporarily belied the fears of the more cautious among his friends and relatives by a determination to pursue a sensible calling in his anxiety to reassure society with the commonplace it desired he became the employee of a well-known banker in this capacity it was possible for him to wed a danish lady of depressingly unimpeachable respectability though it can hardly be said that gauguin was ever a father nature made him responsible through this alliance for several children then suddenly without warning at the age of thirty he turned vagabond and painter almost in the same moment not that he became a physical exile from the Beulah land of bourgeois success so early as this the outward sign of the inward grace was slow to accumulate he began painting on sundays while the remainder of the week was devoted to a kind of remunerative penance at last however his determination to express himself conquered the habit of clerical diligence and he devoted his entire effort to becoming an artist in eighteen eighty he first exhibited landscapes in the manner of pizarro the following year he showed besides similar landscapes a study of a nude woman of which poisman wrote that no painter had as yet struck a note aussi vehemente dans le rio from this time forward his work took an unexpected trend and his emancipation was as swift as his preparation had been deliberate manet and Degas were the strongest influences which affected his maturing talent gauguin did not doubt the sincerity of pizarro and monet but he did not find in them the colours that he remembered in the luxuriant shores along which he had coasted in his youth and he began to seek for models to affirm this recollection in eighteen eighty six he went to brittany and painted his first independent landscapes he was displeased with the result of his experiments and impatient with the surroundings resolved on a journey to martinique here gauguin saw a new world and the revelation reaffirmed his spirit of revolt on his return to france he found the method of pizarro who had been his first admiration more than ever impossible Cezanne and manet were now the painters whose work approached his ideal it was about this time that van gogh with whom he had previously become acquainted in paris persuaded him to come to Arles. according to gauguin it was van gogh only who profited by their association but it is probable that each gave something to the other as the friction of their contradictory natures called forth in each complimentary reactions van gogh to the end of his life retained the greatest reverence for his older comrade and in a letter to gauguin written shortly before his death continues to address him as maitre a detail which gauguin in one of his communications to charles maurice cannot forbear mentioning in any case it was during the time passed at arles that gauguin produced what were from the coloristic standpoint the most notable pictures of his european period including his extraordinary yellow christ perhaps gauguin's vanity suffered from overcrowding in europe for he began to long once more to return to the tropics his friends were compassionate on may twenty one eighteen ninety one the first performance of Medellinck's Les Entrusses was given at the vaudeville for the joint benefit of Gauguin and Verlaine. The proceeds of the entertainment covered the cost of the long-anticipated journey to Tahiti. After 1891, Gauguin returned to Europe only as a visitor, bringing with him some written impressions of unusual foreign life which appeared in book form under the title Noah Noah, and some superb pictures which reflected a more profound experience the french edition of Nolanua has intercalated between Gauguin's original narrative chapters verse by Charles Maurice somewhat in the manner of occasional music this verse while polished detracts rather than adds to the significance of the book and is wisely dropped from the english version by the good taste of the translator o f Thys, who has lately given in our alien tongue an excellent rendition of the little volume noa noa is a narrative of charming if specious simplicity which in the opening pages with a deliberate absence of literary preparation transports us to the unfamiliar city of Papeete, the tahitian capital gauguin has recounted his experiences through disconnected incidents and the absence of other than a chronological sequence in the events described lends the book the appearance of being an unstudied transcription from life as a littérateur gauguin has all of the delightful vices from which his pictorial and sculptural art is such a spontaneous escape he paints his tahitian models with respect but as he writes of them his regard is full of that fastidious sentimentality of the man of culture or the race toward which he holds a position of unassailable superiority gauguin with less taste but a more successful artlessness writes like pierre Loti, a kind of exalted and impressionistic journalism flavoured with self-conscious wistfulness he is with intent the painter wielding the pen never before have we been given so much of the literal colour of the tropics the color which assails the eye as if with defiance all life comes to us in his lines as if through the eyes and watching the bare feet of the girls in the roadway they agitate us as though with their strong toes they gripped our souls there is a delicious description of vaitua a real princess who however conducts herself with more imagination than the royalty whom we are accustomed to see photographed for the illustrated journals I feel like comparing this narrative to a similarly personal volume by a christian missionary an African trail by jean mackenzie and i perceive in the hatred of her kind for savage practices especially the more cruel incidents of sexual ruthlessness a fear a little nearer reality than the attitude of moral protectiveness which gauguin assumes toward those from whom he has never felt any menace there is something pathetic in the grotesque contortions of inverted morality with which the christian ethicist would saddle oblivious nature but i sense in the book by a woman the insight of the weak through which they appraise the ways of the strong always a keener gaze than the casual vision with which the strong behold their inferiors in gauguin's make-up there was no need for the christian legend for he had not at least at the time Noah was written discovered his necessities the social feelings were always beside his needs as a member of the human race he was never more than a dilettante it was perhaps because he was able to gratify every want through his art that he retained his spiritual independence again in contrasting the missionary outlook with the viewpoint of gauguin i am reminded of that age-old rivalry between woman and the arts woman whose maternal disabilities confine her freedom within the limitations of the moralities warring with nature for his possession she dare not permit man that faith in himself which makes the social compromise superfluous so early in his childhood while he is yet subject to her she attempts to impregnate his soul with her pessimism art because it also ignores the social compromise she must consider an alliance with the enemy there are moments in noah noah when gauguin escapes from his pretense of humanity then only the trees the lizards the silence the ocean and the earth exist with the painter and where he touches form and especially color his reactions spring from the depths of his being and anticipate deception so that his constant desire for the picturesque arrives too late to affect his utterance out of the placid and impersonal perfection of the sea and sky in bronze foliage we can imagine the evolution of the deliberate figures which adorn his canvases figures which give us the impression of an eternity that is at once substantial and fleeting they are as heavy and placid as the huge clouds which hang on the horizon with the weight of mountains yet are at any moment liable to disintegrate in most descriptions of the alien environment the author in subconscious conformity to some idea which dominates his attitude his attitude will eliminate much that is for him irrelevant but necessary for the fidelity of a realistic impression gauguin visualises his tahiti so completely because he does not discriminate in recounting the trivial and the grandiose details of his surroundings There was a moment in the silence of the forest with no other companion than his male guide, Totefa, when Gauguin awoke with the sudden shock of his strange surroundings to a supreme, a distorted instant of being. The first impulse of self-intoxication was toward an act of violence, but his exultation developed in him a kind of menacing calm, a grandiose feeling, a little absurd which prompted him to take the axe from his guide and fell a tree with it persuading himself as the blows resounded on the trunk that he could lay waste the forest before him the boastfulness of his mood gave him hallucinations of the sort that beset children he was a god walking light-footed across the tops of the mountains he had created nevertheless as he suggests to us his isolation and the grandeur of his surroundings he stirs within us a contagion of the sense of elevation and power. Like echoes we play his game of defiance. It was after this orgasm of the spirit that Kogan, pursued by a feeling of unrest which he pretends not to have understood, undertook a pilgrimage to one of the remoter parts of the island, but instead of continuing his journey to this destination, halted at the first strange native hut where he was offered a wife. Tahira a girl of thirteen when the time comes for gauguin to return to france and part with tahura he gives a final sight of her as she sits on a stone on the quay calm exhausted with weeping her feet touching the soiled water the flower which she has put behind her ear in the morning fallen wilted on her knee this tableau departure is from the pen of the parisian who sees in all life an opportunity for a reticent adornment gauguin the writer has not permitted the rhythm of his beauty to be interrupted by ugly moral jerks but his harmony is false being arrived at only by exclusion to gauguin the painter beauty is so inclusive that the contradiction which would have remained outside in the work of another has been swallowed up by his inspiration and ceases to exist gauguin's homecoming on this occasion did not bring him the anticipated triumph and a succession of disappointments culminated in a financial sense at least when in eighteen ninety five he had a sale at the Hotel htel which realized a contemptible sum he longed as before for the distinction of exile for alone it is possible to remain dignified in failure Carrière procured him a cheap passage back to tahiti on the pretext of an official mission ill health and further financial difficulties now kept him away from europe to the end of his life gauguin from the beginning in Papete to the end in the even more remote Marquesas, preserved himself through his very real difficulties with all the consolations of self-pity he was sorry for himself when he found there was no way of equalizing emotions with a childlike like Tehera. He was sorry for himself because he went to the wilderness when already too exhausted for unmodified pagan experiences. He was sorry for himself when his implacable wife wrote him in terse language of the death of the daughter whom he had elected to abandon. The truth is that Gauguin, like most persons, felt it outrageous that he was expected to make irrevocable decisions there are many things in the psychology of this unpremeditated genius which suggests the typical marooned white whom one continually encounters in tropical lands like all of these derelicts he preserved the double privilege of his failure among the natives he was the white man distinguished forever by his superior in formation no matter how low the european may sink he will usually find with the dark-skinned aborigines those who are willing to assume some of the burden of his support for the doubtful benefits of association at the same time with visitors of his own color gauguin was distinguished though often looked at askance because of the race among which he had cast his lot to the missionaries of many years standing for whom he had the most unreserved dislike is meted out something of the same fate for where they maintain a nominal financial independence and are at liberty to put an end to the term of exile whenever they have the courage to recant their license is curtailed by the incapacity for readjustments which the passage of time develops and they are able often for years to pity themselves for the lack of those adjuncts of their original environment which could no longer be of any use to them Gauguin, on account of his financial troubles accomplished his removal to the marquesas with some difficulty having encountered opposition from his wife whose legal consent was required for a disposal of his meagre belongings some years before robert louis stevenson had visited Eva Oy, and his comments on the marquesas heighten our conception of the people among whom gauguin passed his last days at the time stevenson visited here he found these the least impressed by civilization of all of the polynesian groups but this race removed from cannibalism by only a decade or two was the handsomest and in many respects the most pleasing in the south sea islands their salient temperamental characteristic however was their profound melancholy and the continual fear of death which expressed itself in the morbidness of their mythology this terror was constantly reiterated by the appearance of the islands themselves which had become through successive epidemics that on different occasions all but demolished this race of physical demigods veritable tombs on every side were the evidences of death in graves unburied skeletons and ruined pepes or native habitations during forty-six years the population in one district had declined from six thousand to less than four hundred the dead of the Marquesans were jealous of the living and beyond the grave indulged those customs of cannibalism which the white man no longer permitted in life and to offset this constant menace from repugnant and merciless superbeings, every act of existence was protected by the art of the witch-doctor in this atmosphere of superstition which treasured death as so vivid a commonplace gauguin suffered for everything but the actual means of subsistence waiting like so many tropical expatriates the relief that was to come from the land beyond the sea when i read of gauguin's last days i thought of a whitewashed church on a hill by the seaside in a south american town and i remembered the excitement of the three americans and the two englishmen who constituted the foreign population when the signal flags were run up on the tower announcing the first mail-boat dispatched from a war-ridden zone in over thirteen weeks or in benguela in west africa in that climate of depression and ennui the same continual agitation in expectation of a letter the letter there is not one among the banished who does not await his letter sometimes it is a love letter sometimes it is a letter which is to bring news of kin more often as in gauguin's case it is the letter which is to bring money as some monotonous lives at home are sustained by faith in the miracle of religion so is the life of the exile made bearable through his confidence in the letter which will one day arrive from god knows where and bring fortune with it the native who attends on the white man also believes in the letter this passage of mail back and forth to and from the unknown is a proof of the favor of the gods which rests on the white man for the native does not receive letters and existence holds for him only those familiar things which he can see and touch of course in most cases the letter fails to arrive day follows uneventful day the tropical foliage withered as if by the breath of despair shrivels gray in the heat autumn comes the rains begin thick white clouds descend to the very earth and in the mist through which nothing is visible but light one hears the shower a sibilant and barely audible music which seems never to cease it is spring perhaps that spring of impeccable blue skies against which the young mango leaves hang in sharp reddish bunches there are no shadows anywhere on earth and along the glaring beach The dead fronds, which still hang on the coconut trees, rattle huskily in the warm wind. Then a flag is run up on the church tower of the council's flagstaff. A ship is in sight. Suddenly we understand that the day has arrived. The low houses look bright and strange. The stretch of sand sparkles curiously as if with intention. The palm trees clash and swirl their green swords against the cobalt blue of the sky on the sapphire waves hundreds of white caps burst in abrupt explosions like seed pods which have ripened and scattered to the air little showers of white far out some thin disappearing streaks of silver show where a group of flying fish has darted up then like a strange presence approaching something for which we have no name appears the ship the tramp steamer or third-rate passenger boat which carries mail she is like the bark bearing the grail more alien she seems as she looms larger to the shore she will stand off or she will be able to make a landing but in either case hours may pass before the mail is out hours in which one is never for a moment unconscious of that presence a presence so vivid and compelling that it is almost sinister rusty she may be faded vermilion streaks on the dingy hull which they are beginning to paint boats cluster to her sides and sweating natives jostle each other in the hurly-burly of dust-clouds while their songs and cries echo above the indolent creaking of the pulleys impassive enigmatic she rests motionless in the lap of the water and when for some freak of the engineer her whistles blow it is as though one listened to the voice of the colossi in the dawn at memnon about her keel float potato peelings and a curious reddish-brown scum, which is a mingling of seaweed and refuse. Here and there, the dark blobs of quicksilver shadow are covered with an opalescent skin of kerosene like isinglass. A sandy-haired man in his shirt sleeves, his collar open at the neck, leans over the far from immaculate rail, chews a tobacco cud, and half closing his dull twinkling eyes spits luxuriously in this man as in everything that pertains to the vessel one feels a glow of proprietorship and interest the wooden pier the houses gray in a sudden shower the rustle of the ragged sage-colored coconut leaves as they bend and twist against the dun and silver sky the bitter smell of rain all of these things seem breathed as from the permanent atmosphere of the ship their familiarity is the familiarity of the steamer which one has never seen before they and it have been and ever shall be as they are in this beginning instant hours pass the mail has been distributed but the letter is still missing how many months will drag by before we are allowed a repetition of our disappointment it is five o'clock in the afternoon the sun shines again but moistly and indecisively past the point surmounted by three palm-trees past the fort whose crumbling walls are covered with orchids past the fishermen naked to the waist who look very small as they stand far off upright in a canoe which moves out which the waves Oscillates so that it seems continually to rise. The ship moves out. She is a two-master with a single smokestack. Her spars appear almost unbelievably fragile as they pierce the diaphanous sunshine. The flat, sluggish, moving hull lies heavily in the shadow and blown toward the land from the squat chimney like a morning scarf waved in the breeze the purple smoke hangs in a tattered fluttering streak above the twilight blue of the water smaller the ship on the horizon all the melancholy of that unbroken line culminates in a minute point which grows every moment less the ship disappears sea earth sky all are as empty as the womb from which a child has been torn the wind as it blows inland over the ocean that knows no winter seems colder the fisherman's canoe is grounding on the beach the men up to their waists in the sea pulling the boat against the dragging of the tide which is moving imperceptibly out the waves still a pale green roll roll in one continuous desponding undulation with the hopelessness of the tide which will after all never escape the shore the sun sets abruptly dropping quickly like a shot bird behind the mountain top and at the same moment color is drained from everything and the night rises like a vapor as if from the earth one thinks with unreasoning depression of the steamer already lost between two solitudes each of which seems to reflect and magnify the other and the land of the white man is farther by a million miles than it has been that morning the night elongates nothing can halt that inexorable ship which drags the darkness after her until miles and hours are won and in her wake the shadows unwind in long streamers of black for gauguin bedridden with a disease which was probably the combined result of a syphilitic taint and the malnutrition which is so often produced even in those accustomed to it by the inadequate diet of a primitive people the letter came too late you imagine him in one of those houses of types so similar all over the tropics houses which permit of no reserves and you see him lying in this hut day after day waiting for the ship wondering perhaps which will arrive first death or the materials which will allow him to paint the natives were indolent they were curious but some were not altogether indifferent to the white man's fate these acquaintances who surrounded him watched the end approach regretfully but with the resignation of savages which without intention utterly isolates the person in distress however gauguin had chosen his bed and died in selected surroundings so that as a man we should offer him no regret his tenacity in the pursuit of his dominant aim was extraordinary but it is the only quality expressed in his personal confessions which would command more than a commonplace regard yet if there is little in a man stripped of his art which would arrest our admiration there is enough in the painter to make christians of the most grudging christians who welcome the artist who has shirked everything that society obliges with the same feast prepared for the drudge of responsibility i have heard it objected that gauguin was no primitive that he touched his savages with the brush of parisian sophistication instead of considering this statement as a depreciation i find in it the simplest explanation of the fidelity of the painter's reaction to savagery it is the thing that forces upon us a conviction of separation which impresses us most our senses register the foreign experience with superior acuteness and the individual who compels our recognition is he who by the sharp definitions of his personality reiterates his distinction it is the law of being which orders that the great be lonely and that death grip most firmly the imagination of him whose life is intense the hieroglyphic drawings of savages express an elemental reaction to the accidents of existence but the primitive man so little self-aware cannot feel himself so keenly apart from his surroundings the more sophisticated we become the more we realize our isolation in, in an intensifying perception of what lies outside us and this vision is itself the recognition of the impassable barrier which surrounds us the stimulation which our senses receive from the pictorial art of the earliest historians results from the shock of extreme alienation imitation however is always a lie since for none of us does there exist an identical reality to attempt through an effort of will to approximate the spirit of the primitive in his approach to life is a futile artifice for the truth he sought as his own does not exist for us at best we may represent it in an ideal or purely decorative manner as a conventionalized motif which permits of interminable repetitions i doubt that the sensuous experience of the primitive is deeper than our own but though this be so its articulation through art must be less vivid no one indulges in the superfluous creation in the moment of living before creation can become a complete act there must be a definite realization of self with a will which sustains through its means the flash of an involuntary joy or sorrow in the savage this will to self-expression can be little more than a tendency and the savage man reflects his own individuality only through remote inferences for an inclusive recognition of elemental life gauguin's method was almost perfect he did not attempt to make intellectual patterns of the life he got at second hand as might a painter who worked backward from ideas to emotions gauguin was for an immediate effect his personal reaction to this unaccustomed atmosphere the limbs torsos arms which gauguin painted seemed to flow upward from the earth the strange trees the flowers the men the women even the stone figure of some inscrutably ugly deity are as synthetic as the landscape which on waking one morning one sees from the deck of a ship simultaneously in all its parts a new world has come into being gauguin painted in bold strong outlines with occasional dreary plains but in giving us a nude without traditions he extended the frontiers of art far beyond the confines of tahiti always he used clear and simple colors complaining to others that their work was never light enough and much of his strength was drawn from his avoidance of the weakness of overfinish in his picture of a youth between two girls which is representative of some of his best attributes there is a perfection of grouping an exquisiteness of line and a mastery of planes which give perfect satisfaction here so little is analysed that we are left to appropriate everything in a single emotion this is a primary religious feeling which supersedes a stereotyped declaration of a god a feeling that is impossible when the emotions are considered before they are articulated for to criticize and appraise is to take account of a universe which exists only in parts with the mathematical erection of a patchwork deity the emotional conviction of unity departs forever. for nous? is the title of what is i believe his most ambitious painting the theme of this canvas is human destiny birth to the right is represented by the mother and the lately born death to the left is suggested by the old woman crouching in an attitude of brooding but stoical despair in the centre of a fantastically impressive landscape a huge maori stands plucking fruit in the background is a calm and grotesque idol with uplifted arms and semi-distant from the foreground appear symbolical figures which Gauguin himself has named vanity of speculation and certainty of another existence this picture perhaps a little too pretentious in composition nevertheless forces upon us a conviction of its inevitability the metaphorical inferences which half emerge from the more Obvious aspects of these languid plains are like words formed by the lips in silence. They command us to an attention which one never gives to what is clearly overheard, and the effect upon us is a sense of imminence, of continual approach, as though the finger tips in the darkness rested upon something unseen which forever eluded the grasp here life and death instead of contradicting one another are the common flowers of the same melancholy peace in one of his letters Gobin hopes that he may be allowed two years more of life in which to discover himself it is quite possible that this often insupportable egoist erstwhile the too picturesque proprietor of the shop in the rue person getherit while he was so doubtfully supported by the opinions of others in his heart was but half aware of his own profundity, for there is nothing in my work which could produce bewilderment save this savage strain in me for which I am not responsible. He writes not long before his death in a letter to Charles Maurice Gauguin failed to realize that it was the truth, always strange which bewildered his contemporaries and what staggered critics it was not barbarism of some local origin but the unknown which is invariably barbarous every human work gauguin continues is a revelation of the individual hence there are two kinds of beauty one comes from instinct the other from labor the union of these two with the modifications resulting therefrom produces great and complicated richness gauguin's work was truly a revelation of the fidelity of instinct for only the will is able to enjoin a lie and the artist whose intention is directed from the subconscious depths of his being where the will is evaded is unable to falsify logic is unscrupulous as ready to impose an appearance of harmony upon a fundamental discord as to adapt itself to an exposition of truth the intelligence may modify but should always make itself subservient to the inspiration an artist with brains should at least at times be wise enough to refuse to think gauguin fortunately in the comparative poverty of his intellectual understanding could not entirely elevate himself above his sense impressions so that he was compelled to be great where his often tawdry wit might have dictated artifice physics chemistry and above all the study of nature have produced an epoch of confusion in art and it may be truly said that artists robbed of all their savagery have wandered into all kinds of paths in search of the productive element which they no longer possess it is true that i know little but what i do know is my own by preserving the unique quality in himself he was able to draw from the stream of life before the intellect had made it barren it is impossible to feel and to appraise any motion with the same breath and as a consequence of this disability the intelligence is aware only of what has already ceased to exist the element in gauguin's work which he was pleased to describe as savagery took rise in his perception of the existence of all things as simultaneous with his own this was what gave his work its static quality in his paintings the universe and the artist live together in an eternal now education is our means of recognizing the past and gauguin for whom there was nothing but the present was essentially uneducated it is for this reason that the esthetic renegade has the privilege of vitality but for culture all great works of art would remain forever contemporary the mission of culture is a denial of the present through which we learn to endure a purely retrospective existence and to construct the future as an inverted past unhappily conventionalized judgments soon grow in the public mind to represent the work of the great dead and these master spirits are finally allowed to communicate themselves only through the inferior minds of their disciples let us then take advantage of a diminishing opportunity and acquaint ourselves with Gauguin before his challenging outline is smudged with tradition, lest the shadow of posterity fall backward on his canvases and obscure those strong figures which gain their effect of flatness and simplicity through the uniformity of tropical light. End of section 18.